Hello everyone and welcome back to the second episode of the GHYC Global Health Youth Connect 2023 Infectious Diseases podcast. I'm Angela. And I'm Nadia. We're from the Infectious Disease team and today we would like to chat about antimicrobial resistance. Yeah, so this is a very interesting topic and certainly a very relevant issue in the medical care today. Um, It's also a very broad topic, so we don't hope to cover everything, but hopefully this will spark some interest for some of you to go and do some further reading. So Nadia, do you want to broadly define antimicrobial resistance for the audience so we're all on the same page? Sure, and I completely agree. This is a very interesting topic that will definitely require further discussion and awareness. But generally speaking, we're just going to discuss sort of the broad things and the broad concepts today. Now, antimicrobial resistance essentially occurs when microbes, such as pathogens and bacteria, they evolve certain mechanisms that protect them from bactericidal effects of antibiotics that we use today. So in simple terms, imagine these little bacteria, they arm themselves against the antibiotics um, through multiple things to multiple ways so that the antibiotics is no longer effective against them. So you may have heard of the very ominous sounding bacteria such as methicillin resistant staph aureus or vancomycin resistant enterococcus or even better yet the multi-drug resistant mycobacterium tuberculosis. So very complex sounding names and these are real concerns that we have. Yeah, yikes. I definitely wouldn't want to be a foot near any of those bacteria you just mentioned. Right. Uh, they are very, very um, concerning bacteria in that they have the potential to cause serious illnesses within the human body as they're now becoming increasingly resistant to some of our cornerstone antibiotic medications. Yeah, that's really like ominous sounding indeed. So to give everyone another example, as a student with placement in a hospital setting, um, I have come across a patient that was affected with MRSE, methicillin-resistant staph epidermidis. So he was a 62-year-old man that had come into hospital because of a sternal wound infection resulting from a surgery. And usually the recovery for these types of valve surgeries, which is what he had undergone, is very quick. Usually you'd expect like a few days probably at most in hospital. But whilst he was in hospital, he acquired this methicillin-resistant staphylococcus epidermidis. This resulted initially in septic shock, where an infection causes life-threatening vasodilation of your vessels, resulting in decreased blood flow to your organs. This was followed by a hospital stay lasting a whopping 103 days. And this is despite having intravenous heavy-duty antibiotics pumped into him and having debridement surgeries almost daily. So as we can see from this example, these infections can be very hard to clear and very debilitating for the patient. They can really interfere with wound healing in general, and often we would need to resort to very broad-spectrum antibiotics to make the bug go away. Yeah, those are some really, really unfortunate things. And um, unfortunately, I, I must say that it's probably not the only case and it is becoming more common that these cases occur. And what's more unfortunate is that these resistant microbes are most likely to be applied in a hospital setting. And they're what we call a nonsocomial infections. Now, what that means is that they tend to affect the most vulnerable populations of the people out there. 
Yeah, um, and I know we've just kind of delved right into the example without going or giving the audience a bit more context. Um, so I know myself and many others may have forgotten all about the actual process of drug resistance from BioClass a long time ago. So why don't we reroute ourselves and start again there? Sounds like a plan. And so I guess to actually understand the problem of antimicrobial resistance at hand, we need to delve further into how a bacteria actually develops this resistance. So let's think of a normal population of rapidly evolving bacteria. And usually with its reproduction and DNA reproduction happening so quickly, bacteria tend to develop this spontaneous mutations in their genome. And only those of the mutations that are advantages to survival persist in the next generation. Yeah, that sounds a lot like natural selection, actually. Absolutely. It's a little bit as if like those bacteria that are armed with basically the greatest weapon, the greatest advantages, they tend to outlive the others that are less sort of acclimatized to the environment in the body or to the exposure to the antibiotics. So let's consider a situation where there's a new mutation that emerges, one that makes a bacteria resistant to a certain antibiotic. So if there's no antibiotic present, this mutation doesn't actually confer any added survival advantage. So usually with time, bacteria that have this mutation would probably die out with the oncoming generations. And this happens especially if there are bacteria with other natural advantages mutations present. So for example, if one bacteria can digest glucose quicker than the other. Does that make sense? Yeah, I see. So just to summarize a bit of what you've just mentioned, these bacteria have an advantage against an antibiotic out there, for instance, but because the antibiotic itself isn't really present in the environment the advantage actually isn't realized and they just end up dying out so we don't have this whole resistance forming yeah exactly that's right on point now consider the alternative situation okay so the one that we gave was basically there is that resistance happening but because no antibiotic is present it's basically they're equal to each other because that advantage is not actually used in any form but in an alternative situation, when there is a resistant bacteria, when antibiotic is used, in this case, two things usually happen in the presence of an antibiotic. Firstly, maybe the bacteria, they don't have a mutation. So most bacteria, even those that can digest glucose at an astoundingly face, uh, fast pace, they die off because the antibiotic will just kill them, whereas the resistant bacteria would survive. Now, you can imagine with everyone, every other bacteria dead, it's a lot easier for this bacteria to grow and eventually take over the whole population at this point and the resistance would be rather established. Do you get the situation at this point in time? Yeah, right. So this is really the driving force behind antibiotic resistance, isn't it, from what you're saying? The use of antibiotics themselves is driving this whole kind of process. Yeah, and that's, I feel like the slight irony and a very unfortunate thing because we're using it to treat it, right? So mm. the more that we expose ourselves to the bacteria or the more that we use the antibiotics in an unnecessary situation in particular, the greater the chance that bacteria have to develop that resistance. And because the antibiotic is present, 
that advantage of that resistance is realized. So those that have the advantage, they survive, they keep reproducing, make our antibiotics more useless. Whereas those that don't, they get killed off, right? So why don't we go through another example with the first antibiotic ever known to mankind, penicillin. You've heard of that? Yeah. I mean, imagine firstly, not only being a microbiologist to start off with, then having one of your cultures contaminated with mold. You to make one of, if not the most important scientific discovery of the 20th century, and that's the yeah, very definition of yeah for sure and it's it's very serendipitous is it isn't it it's very very fortunate mm. i would say yeah very very lucky yeah <laughs> and for all of those who have no idea what we're rattling on about which is fair enough we're talking about alexander fleming who was a scottish scientist who discovered the first antibiotic penicillin this really revolutionized healthcare so basically, as he was investigating the possibility of a vaccine, I believe, against Staph aureus, one of his cultures actually got contaminated with some mold. Um, this mold is actually instrumental to this entire story because he later observed that this mold was bacteriocidal. And after some purification and other experimentation, I believe, voila, he had penicillin, the wonder drug. <laughs> yeah. And... For those who are not aware, bactericidal means that the mold kills bacteria. But that's the issue, isn't it? So everyone considers this mold as a, or the product of this mold as a wonder drug. So they use it a lot, even when it's not necessary. So because of that, the overuse of antibiotics, and we've talked about how that presence of antibiotics is the main driver of antibiotic resistance in our society today. And it's probably a podcast topic in its own right. Yeah, for sure. And the very concerning thing about this whole situation is that overuse happens not only on an individual level, but more so even on a communal and a global level as well. So for instance, just to give you guys another example, the use of antibiotics in the farming and the food industry is absolutely crazy i mean i wasn't even aware of this before doing this podcast episode but antibiotics are currently being given to healthy disease-free animals with no other reason but to help them grow so we can produce more meat essentially for the food industry so if you thought that humans were the biggest users of antibiotics this is far from the truth in fact for some countries more than 80% of antibiotic medication imports are for the animal sector, which is absolutely crazy in my opinion. Absolutely. I would, I would concur with that. I think that's absolutely mm -hmm. mind-blowing. Yeah, and I suppose that leads us to the idea of antibiotic stewardship. So, Nadia, would you like to simply talk us through this? Definitely. And it's actually one of my favourite topics to learn about when I was a pharmacy student. So basically, antibiotic stewardship is defined as an ongoing effort by health services to optimize antimicrobial usage. Mm -hmm. So that includes antibiotics, antifungals and all to improve patient outcomes and ensure cost effective therapy. Now, this is something that needs to be practiced in both the human and the animal world. It's a way where we figure out how to use our antibiotics in the best manner to slow down that antimicrobial resistance. 
we have to pick out the right ones at the right dose, at the right duration, only when necessary, not just overdoing it until the point of no return. Yeah, that's crucial to actually resisting antibiotic resistance. Um, and a good example of overdoing it, like you mentioned, Nadia, is when people use antibiotics even when they aren't indicated by a health professional. Now, this contribution of this is very, very small compared to how antibiotics are used in other sectors, like we just mentioned, the animal sector. But just for instance, if you've got the flu and say you go to a general practitioner, they will very likely just recommend you supportive care, such as increasing your fluid intake, taking Panadol. And this can sometimes be very frustrating for us as patients because we feel like we aren't being prescribed any active medication, such as antibiotics, to combat the infections that we have. So some people even seek out other general practitioners who would be willing to prescribe an antibiotic for their infection. That would not help as most flu infections are viral in nature, but would actually have other adverse effects such as diarrhea. Yeah, and there's a lot more examples of overusing of antibiotics even in the primary healthcare sector. So I guess... An easy way to think about it, if a healthcare professional says you don't need it, you probably have a high chance that you don't need it. Now, I wouldn't try to push for it. It honestly would do you more harm than good, I promise you that. Mm, yeah, for sure. Um, and there are lots of examples. Um, I guess we'll just ask questions. Your health is in your own hands. But definitely never make a decision without information, that's for sure. And I definitely concur with that as well. And in general, just to see how antibiotics are being misused on such a global scale is very frightening. And it's probably the resistant, the reason why there's now widespread resistance against antibiotics such as penicillin. Mm. Yeah, and the rate of resistance is now faster than the rate at which big pharma can actually develop new antibiotics. So because the math doesn't add up, it means that we really have a real shortage of new drugs that we can use. Yeah, for sure. These little buggers are appearing faster than we can arm ourselves. For instance, in 2019, WHO identified about 32 antibiotics in clinical development that addresses the WHO list of priority pathogens, of which only six were classified as innovative. Six out of 32. That's 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 actually really small and that was in 2019 and I can't imagine the numbers now. Yeah those are already some really depressing numbers um, and I guess also the lack of access to quality antimicrobials remains a major issue. Antibiotic shortage is affecting countries at all levels of development especially in healthcare systems where they are arguably the most needed. Yeah, no, definitely. And revisiting the patient you mentioned at the very start of the podcast, this is a prime example of how widespread resistance is affecting the most vulnerable people of our population. For sure. And if we look at this scenario from, let's say, a societal rather than an individual perspective, we can also see that the cost of antimicrobial resistance to health systems is also very significant. So the more unwell a patient is, 
the longer the time they need to stay in these hospitals under intensive care, which is not only financially very costly, but actually increases the chance they will acquire another life-threatening infection or develop other comorbidities. It is indeed the very definition of a lose-lose situation and one that we definitely want to avoid. No, for sure. Let's not go there. And not to mention, without effective antimicrobials, the success of modern medicine in treating infections, including during major surgery and cancer chemotherapy, would be at increased risk. Yeah, but hold up. We're talking about bugs here. Um, Why involve the surgeries and the chemo? How does that come into the <laughs> and that's a really good question. Now, as some of our audience members may already know, almost all major surgeries involve prophylactic administration of antibiotics to reduce the risk of infection resulting from the surgery itself. So to put it simply, when we penetrate through the skin, for instance, as one of the common surgery, um, or well, all surgery will penetrate the skin in some form, right? We are weakening the safety barrier around our body. So it increases that risk of contamination and colonization from all the bugs surrounding the environment. So oftentimes, particularly during surgery and chemotherapy, where that immune system is taking a hit, we use what we call prophylactic antibiotics, which means that we hit you with antibiotics strong first before you start it to decrease that risk of, of harm from potential bugs sort of taking advantage of the situation. Mm, yeah, so the use of antibiotics, it can be seen that that's involved in all stages of many procedures that are currently being done in hospitals today. Um, so let's just like reroute a bit um, and change our trajectory. Talk about what we can do to stop the rate of antibiotic resistance or how can we help? Ooh, I'm guessing prevention is the key here, right? Yeah, most definitely. Um, the prevention of infection from occurring in the first place is just as important as the prevention of antimicrobial resistance. And that applies especially to a hospital environment where it's definitely a lot more likely to acquire serious infections. For sure. And what do you reckon can be done specifically in the hospital setting to reduce infection from occurring? Yeah, well, a very basic, however, a very important protocol is hand hygiene. Um, I'm pretty sure to even work at the hospital or undergo placement there, you have to have completed the five moments of hand hygiene module, I believe it is, which shows how important of a thing it is. But essentially, the idea is a lot of the time in hospital, infections can be transmitted from patient to patient by healthcare workers. For instance, if you simply touch a patient or their surroundings and then move on, not clean your hands properly and touch another patient, that's a form of how infections can actually transmit. So prevention is key and hygiene is key in these hospital environments for sure. Yeah, sounds really good. That sounds like we've got a plan. And I guess outside of that hospital environment, a lot of infection prevention is carried out through basic sanitary measures such as using soap, filtered water, hand sanitizer, and things like that. Things that, unfortunately, the audience are probably familiar due to the recent COVID pandemic we just experienced. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've seen a lot of people carrying around hand sand during the pandemic, but I guess um, perhaps less frequently now that we are starting to adapt to the post-COVID world. 
um, I guess it's just important not to forget these measures and keep up the good work and keep them in the back of our minds. Yeah, definitely. And what about the poor infection and disease prevention um, and control in healthcare facilities and farms? What would you say would be recommended for them? Yeah, well, that's largely a job for the policymakers, unfortunately. I mean, we need to ensure we have robust infection control measures in places that particularly have a high spread rate. Um, I feel like that would definitely be the most bang for your buck, really. Yeah, no, definitely. I I concur with that entirely. And I think like having making sure that we all have access to the vaccines and affordable medications are also really important factors that can contribute to our fight, unfortunately, against antimicrobial resistance. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing that we'll mention is knowledge is very, very important. Knowledge, awareness, people don't know, then no action will be taken. So we have to do our best to kind of spread the word, um, read up on things, kind of making sure that we're going to kind of um, valuable and very reliable healthcare knowledge sources as well, which is information. Absolutely. Knowledge is definitely power in this current time. And I think, Angela, that's a really good note for us to end it. Shall we leave it here until next time? Yeah, um, this feels like the right timing. Let's end it here today. Um, Till next time. Have a good day, everyone.